This is the Webhawk News Podcast for Friday, April 1st, 2022. I'm Jim Cates. Here's a sure sign of spring. The birds are back. Not just the ones with wings, but the ones with wheels. Bird scooters have returned to the streets and sidewalks of Whitewater, and they're available to riders via a smartphone app. Just grab a scooter, zip to your destination, and leave it parked for the next rider. The company reports that riders made more than 11,000 trips in Whitewater during the inaugural season of 2021, with trips averaging just under a mile apiece. More info is available on the company website, www.bird.co. Okay, we're back. Uh, Today the topic is robotics, both on Earth and in outer space. One of these days, well actually right now to an extent. And uh, Space Case Sarah Treadwell is back with us. Welcome again. We have a special guest today, Jack Schnorr, and welcome Jack. Hi. And uh, uh, Jack is an undergraduate student here. He's from Belvedere, Illinois, a little south of the border down there, and is a computer science student. Uh, He is working this term with Assistant Professor Heijin Sun, who has gotten a grant from the National Science Foundation to do some work in autonomous vehicles, and specifically the way vehicles communicate with each other. And um, Jack, I was kind of kind of intrigued reading this press release uh, about your work because I thought, yeah, we talk a lot about autonomous vehicles, but we usually think of them driving themselves. And Professor Sun, and, and with your help and that of some other students, is doing a very cool angle on this, which is to say, making sure that the vehicles communicate with each other so they know where they are in relative space, the hazards that lie ahead, Maybe somebody's about to run a red light. All of this uh, stuff that can make driving safer. And uh, so can you tell us uh, how you got involved with the work with the professor's son? Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, we're not messing with the self-driving capabilities of these cars at all. They are still doing that. But the way that I got involved with this, I was just working over the summer, your standard summer job, like a department (laughs) store or whatever, and it just was not working. I, I, I do not do customer service well at all. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to quit that and I emailed um, a few professors and Hygiene had this. So. Excellent. That's awesome. Excellent. Very cool. And, and my understanding is, and, and Sarah, you probably read some of this too. We have seen in the United States a dramatic drop in the number of deaths per 100,000 miles driven in motor vehicles over the last several decades. Seatbelt enforcement, uh, of course, all these uh, crash test dummy kind of operations which have made cars much safer, airbags, campaigns against drunken driving. Uh, But during the pandemic, we've seen things come up. And of course, there have been speculation that people maybe are angrier, more impatient, feeling frustrated. And so Professor Sun is saying right now, this is the kind of technology that in the long run can help us save some lives. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the whole point of the, all of it, what we're doing. Even the last few decades, it has been getting better, but it's not zero. And that's ultimately the goal, not necessarily with what, just with what we're doing, but with things beyond that as well. 
maybe people are just out of practice. That's why they're <laughs> that too, <laughs> that's right? why they're losing yeah. it over now we're coming back from the pandemic. But yeah, yeah self driving cars would sort of negate any driver error there because they're doing the driving themselves. So yeah, I think that's a solution or at least a start to a solution. So I was gonna say I saw something yesterday about some I guess hackers, if you will, were putting different speed limit tape signs on the road that were tricking Teslas to go 85 miles an hour as opposed to 35 miles per hour. Oh. And so, but that's what makes, I think, kind of what you guys are doing very interesting because you're working on the communications between the cars so that those kind of tricks, if you will, maybe wouldn't be as possible because that is part of, and for context, I'm, I'm pointing to the robot <laughs> that I have here, but that's sort of what mine does too, is that it knows to maintain a certain level of, of distance. And so if the cars can talk to each other, then they would know not to, not to, to do that. And probably uh, working better on that communication between each vehicle would help eliminate that risk as well. Right? Yeah. So, um, when we have communication, it's basically just maintaining almost like an internet Wi-Fi connection between them. So you can put any information. Sure, any information. Any information <laughs> that you could put on the internet right? through these cars. So speed limits. Speed limits, anything. yeah. I'm so not really sure how. all share what speed limit the area is. Yeah. And so if someone wanted to do that sort of hack, they would have to get every single vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So tell us about the Hawk Rover specifically. So that was what kind of got our attention. We were like, look at this cool car on the website. And uh, we were like, let's bring someone in to talk about it. So tell us about the vehicle itself. So it's an RC car chassis that we basically ripped everything off of except for the motors. Okay. And then uh, it's two NVIDIA Jetson Nanos, which are just a very small, sort of like your Raspberry Pi or your okay. uh, Arduino. Uh -huh. It's just one of those, but a, a little more powerful. And we have two of those. So one of them just runs all of the self-driving stuff. We, we use the software called Donkey Car. It's open source, whatever, okay. like anybody yeah. can use it. And then all of the data collection from the cameras and the LiDAR, which like makes a 3D map of the area or whatever. And um, right now we're just using routers that are just there's one attached to the car and then there's one wherever else in the room to simulate like whatever okay. another vehicle that is communicating to but we didn't make a second vehicle because we're just whatever um is there a second vehicle in the works not at the moment because i mean we don't really need one okay to do it because it, the one vehicle moves so and their positions moving relative to each other we can simulate that with one standing still and the other one moving like one car is flying past another or something like that so we don't necessarily need one, but yeah. But, it's but I think it would be really cool to have another one. No, I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm yeah, an advocate for it. Yeah, but it would also it. be very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a lot, of, um, a lot of appreciation for what you do, though, because um, before I got the robot that I currently have that I've paid for someone else to program and build and code and, you know, like that, I built a uh, spider robot. I don't know if you've seen those, um, those kits. They're, they're fairly affordable on Amazon. You know, you would build part of it and then you'd have to do the, the coding part of it and then build a little more and do the coding and that back and forth and back and forth. Somewhere in that chain of back and forthing, I don't know where I messed up, but I messed up somewhere. And so I got it to move once and walk around once, but it doesn't stay connected to my Wi-Fi anymore. And it's somewhere in that chain of, it's like, for me, I'm like, oh man, we've gone too far. 
mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not undoing that, you know. So yeah. uh, so she lives on my shelf and collects dust. But you know, <laughs> I gave it a I gave it a shot, and I kind of was like, I don't know if building a robot is my thing. So I give you a lot of credit. So what got you interested, like in general, in computer science and building things? You know, was that something that you have always enjoyed doing? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily uh, computers always, because I, even even though they were around, I didn't really have um, a lot of access to them, because my mom was very, like, against the screen time, it's going to uh, burn your eyes, uh, whatever, all yeah. of that. So, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to that, but I've always been just someone who, like, takes things apart, puts them back together, and, like, my dad was build cabinets and do a lot of construction stuff. Nice. I was on roofs when I was four. So, I've always been, like, putting things together, taking things apart, and then... Just sort of as I got older, and especially through school, we had to have laptops in middle school, so I sort of just got into like a computer and things just sort of worked with me and computers. My mom would have trouble on hers and I would just touch it and it would work. So I don't really... It's got the Midas touch. Yeah, I don't really know what what happened there. I don't know what she was doing wrong, but... (laughs) I just sort of... I really hope your mom listens to this, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I just sort of clicked with computers and that that's just sort of it worked i i'm reminded of and i i don't know whether to believe this this is a this is a a theoretical question for both you guys warren buffett owns geico the geico gecko you know and i like the geico gecko yeah i find him is it still on yeah Yeah. okay yeah he's he's on that one so the geico gecko (laughs) warren buffett of course is 90 so uh, Warren is not himself is unlikely to live to see this, but Warren Buffett says he would not in, he would not advise anyone to invest in an auto insurance company for the long run. But he's saying ultimately we won't need car insurance because there will be no car accidents. We have come we've come a ways here in terms of autonomous vehicles, safety. And, of course, we're in a transition zone now where we see a lot of these autonomous vehicle kind of features being built into regular driving cars, like the uh, usually luxury cars, you know, uh, to allow a safe following distance. Mm-hmm. But there are things controlled by microchips, like anti-lock brakes are pretty incredible. Uh, those used to be on luxury cars. Now they're on all cars. And so we are coming to a place where cars are getting safer because of specific technologies and because of technologies that'll be built in to the driverless cars eventually, the autonomous vehicles. But how close are we getting to the Geico Gecko being absolutely out of business and he's gonna have to find another line of work? Is this 10 years away, 20 years, 30 years? I, I think it's still quite a, quite a long ways. There's a lot of different scenarios and environments that you can't always plan for in your programming and that's sort of why we want to do the communication so they can sort of work together and maybe not necessarily something that they've been immediately programmed for or one of them like in the snow or something is covering a sensor like a camera or whatever they can't see so then they can rely on the other ones so there are always going to be unforeseen situations and things that may not be uh, easily solved by the neural network that these cars are running. But I think it it is something that we're looking at in the future, but not, I don't think it's as soon as he may think it is. Yeah, or at least significantly reduced. I don't think it'll ever go away because, you know, think about a tree branch randomly breaking off and landing on your car parked in the the street, you know, like that. There's always going to be those 
absolute freak accident kind of things happening. Actually, I wanted to say to your point of how cars have been getting safer and how much we can thank technology for it. I got into actually a really bad car accident a couple of years ago, and that is what I credit a lot of uh, life changes to now because it was a very, very impactful experience. And one of the things, though, that was very impactful to me in that experience was recognizing how that vehicle it got decimated, but it kept me safe because of the crumple zones that are put in in the cars. And then I almost flipped over. And because of the tilt, the amount of tilt that it, it sensed, it just sent off all my airbags, like all of them went off just because it recognized like you're about to roll over. Um, so I just, to me, that was so amazing. Still like in the immediate moment afterwards, like the couple of days afterwards, I was like, gosh, like that is incredible that, you know, even though I'm in pain, most significant pain I had initially was actually my knees because you have airbags that are underneath your dry, or your steering wheel. And I, and my knees got, you know, burned from that airbag, but still like how, how amazing is that when you think about when cars were invented, mm -hmm. which isn't that long ago. Right. And now they're like smart enough to know, oh, this person's gonna roll over and I should mm -hmm. shoot off all the airbags. So um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of reiterate, like even though we're maybe not to the point yet where we have to get rid of insurance, mm -hmm. it is incredible how far we are, we're coming. And I think it's really, really cool that you're helping this progression in your own little your own little piece of it but you know this progression of cars getting safer and safer that's that's really cool and you know what's funny too is the the psychology of it sarah and i have talked a little bit about this looking at various robots you always wonder if people are pushing the boundaries too fast like for example teslas have been involved in a couple of fatal accidents Personally, I think it's because the drivers simply assume too much of the technology. Oh, I think I'll take a nap while my car is driving. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, just don't, I just don't see it. But the funny thing is we react to that and we say, oh, my God, this is terrible. How, 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 what a horrible thing. And yet we do have accidents caused by human error. Mm -hmm. And we accept the fact that accidents are caused by human error. I'm looking at the, the the recent the terrible air crash in China, where the the Boeing 737 just boom went right into a nosedive, and uh, I looked at a similar situation, uh, an FAA simulation online. It was terrifying. Human error. They were coming down through a cloud bank and. The autopilot executed a turnaround, a go-around order. When they came out of the cloud bank, they found out they were headed straight for the ground, and it was too late to reverse it, and it was, it was terrifying. And it was classified as human error. So we accept a certain amount of human errors, but when a robot makes an error, we think, oh, this must mean, no, we, we can't trust robots. And of course, <laughs> right. are we gonna have to learn to live with, maybe to a, a very small extent, with robot error? I mean, class accepting human error is expected because people can't admit fault, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to accept human error, one would have to admit that they did something wrong. Robots are an easy scapegoat. Mm -hmm. Robots will do exactly what you tell them to do to yeah. perfection. So any robotic error is coded in, going back to the code and editing <laughs> it or whatever, you can eventually account for those errors and you will eventually after decades maybe of just going through and changing small things get something that is more like as close to perfect as you can get but that takes a lot of 
finding out what is causing errors, finding out what errors are happening, and experimentation with those errors. I have another question for you, kind of in the same train of thought of, you know, um, people and, and how they use robots as a scapegoat. I don't know how often the Hawk rover gets out and about, uh, but do you ever find people, I suppose it, it's a car, so they're not too like, oh my God, but you know, like when you see Boston Dynamic robots, like the spot dogs or the, the people ones, people get freaked out, right? Um, and have you ever had any sort of, those sort of reactions with the Hawk Rover where people are like, oh, how's it doing that? Oh my gosh. The Hawk Rover's gonna take my <laughs> <Yeah>. job. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna not, take over the world. <laughs> yeah, not really, no, because I mean, it's not, on the very surface level that most people who aren't super into it or super informed about it, th that base level that the, those people understand, it's not really any different from a Tesla. Yeah. They don't yeah. understand the, the whole communication part sure. or any of that. So it's something that they've already seen, something that many of them want because a lot of people want Teslas. Right. It's not a new concept to them. Sure. So the reaction that people get is more, whoa, that's cool, then that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, there does seem to be a thing, though, where people are very nervous about the robots taking over. I, I get that actually quite a lot when I, when I walk my robot out. And for context, for people who cannot see it, it is a two-wheeled following robot. So it uses cameras and sensors to follow me. And people are like sometimes really excited or sometimes really freaked out <laughs> and um you see that those reactions too and so I, I just i think it's really interesting because you sent me this article that people were very they're scared of the the spot robot dogs dynamic spot dynamic dogs but like we love dogs like if it's a biological and I mean, it's I think, you know i think those robots are also used in military applications so <laughs> <laughs> that might scare them a little that, too. That, that is terrifying yeah right um and I wonder, sometimes I wonder if it's, we built this story and this narrative from, by you know, think of early sci-fi, you know, 1950s, the robots are attacking and they're taking over. And I wonder if that's still just in, in Hollywood and media that's still echoing into our culture of like, robots bad, fluffy puppy good, but <laughs> robots bad, you know. And the only robots we really trust are the ones who have been imbued with human, usually endearing characteristics. Right. I uh, think that's why this mine is bubbly and yeah, yellow, and, and you know. uh, it's a, it's it's cute, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I'm thinking of like C3PO yes. was a befuddled Englishman, <laughs> you know, and like <laughs> looking right, all around right. and and uh, always a little clueless, right. even though he was a robot. Uh, I think of uh, Rosie, the uh, robot maid yeah. on the Jetsons. Ro Rosie, you may remember, had she didn't have wheels. She had treads, like a tank. And they would make little creaking sounds as she walked, walked along, say, you know, Mrs. J, shall I prepare dinner now? I think the, 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 the point we're at now, particularly where we're looking at off-road applications, like Sarah is, of course, very interested in the exploration of Mars. Yes. We're looking at Boston Dynamics to do stuff like rescue people trapped in caves or go into environments full of hazardous substances we're finding that wheels don't work yeah uh we've got to uh, hence the spot dog which is a creepy looking thing <laughs> it is it's uh, it is like something out of a, a 1950s sci-fi movie yeah and the spot dogs are taking over of course they would be much larger yes. in the movie but i think that's part of it and uh, and then the 
the, the uh, what do we call them, humanoids? Uh, yeah. The... Uh, from, from Boston Dynamics. Those are terrifying. <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, I guess we don't need to hire stunt doubles to do these things, you know, in the motion capture studio anymore. Sure. We can just have robots do it. Oh, my God, they're going to put the stuntmen out of sure. business. But, but that's not... part of it. Yeah, but that's my point is who defines these as terrifying, you right. know, you know, like if you were the person that built that robot, you'd be like, this is not terrifying. That's my baby. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I just it's interesting how uh, how suspicious we are. And I wonder if that's just from our culture of, you know, the robots attacking and mm -hmm. um, and those kinds of things. But anyway. I don't know if you have more on your on your talking notes that you wanted to ask him. I, didn't, uh, I don't mean uh, to derail uh, uh, you too much here. <laughs> yeah, just I, I just wanted to say that I I wanted to 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 give uh, kudos to Professor Sun because this is obviously important research and also too a big part of our mission here at Whitewater, which is undergraduate research. And yeah. I know he's employing you guys in that. And also, you said you you enjoy the autonomy of the job. So I'm I'm not a programmer myself, obviously, but. Does he give you a discrete task and say, here, work on this? How does that work for you? Um, so for me, I work a lot on when we get a new sensor, a new piece of hardware, because we had more recently, we've changed out the new LiDAR because we had some cheaper 2D um, ones that would just give you a line where there was a wall or a box or whatever. So you couldn't tell if it was a wall or a box or the router that you were looking for or the, anything the like lidar that. that's that little round thing on the top that looks like it's spinning is that yes, right yes so that that was the old one mm -hmm. that you could actually see spinning and that okay. just that makes like a, a little map of the surrounding area mm -hmm. but we changed out that little spinning one because it, it wasn't doing what we needed it to so we got a much bigger much more expensive much fancier one that actually does it's like 16 of those smaller ones stacked on top of each other and so that gives us a 3D map so we can sort of tell, we can see the uh, actual antennas sticking up on the router that we're trying to find. So we can tell that's a wall, that's the router that we're looking for, that's like a box or something that's in the way. So that we can get a, a better map of the area and we actually know what is what. What I've been doing for the most part is taking those new hardware applications and uh, writing the code to run those, but also run them at the same time as everything else and sort of integrate them into the system that we already have. So he just gives me the sensor and says, make it work. Cool. <laughs> that's pretty much, Excellent. that's, that's um, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> make it work. Will you be publishing on this? Is that the end goal? You'll probably have to publish some yeah, sort of report. I, I, I would assume as part of a National Science Foundation grant, and then this would be published in a scientific journal, disseminated at a conference. How do you get the word out and make sure other people know what you're doing? Um, I'm not exactly sure what the end presentation uh, type thing is going to be. It is, uh, we're making it open source. So right now we're working on porting all of the documentation and all of the code and everything onto GitHub or whatever. So nice. it will be available for anyone to replicate. I don't exactly know what his plans are to make that known yet. He's but an sure. assistant professor. Sure. I know he's going to want to publish. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. I yeah, I know. I know he will. <laughs> I know he will, but I don't know what. I don't know what exactly that would entail at this okay. point. So, what are then your plans for the future? Like you're a sophomore, and do you hope to continue on here to get your master's, or what? What? What do you? What would you like to take from this experience and then move forward in your professional career? Yeah, um, I'm not exactly sure 
what I want to do regarding a master's. Some days I'm like, you know, maybe I'll stay and I'll do it. And then other days I'll have a massive homework assignment. I'll be like, screw that. Absolutely <laughs> not. So Ah, the life of the undergrad. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm still deciding that. But in regards to the project, I just want to finish it, obviously, because a, yeah. a finished research project is always better than leaving yeah, one undone. I'd, so I'd hope so. And yeah. also, I don't like leaving things half done. So nice. for me, being a perfectionist and a whatever I, I have to finish it but <laughs> and I'm sure your professor is listening right now and going oh thank god <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah I want I want to finish that and I mean it's just to straight up be pragmatic it's it's really good to have on my, my resume yeah so. absolutely and that's what we wanted to do uh with this podcast and help highlight students and highlight university initiatives and so we were really excited to have Very you cool. join us today to yeah. uh, talk about what you're doing. And um, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely something you're gonna be able to put on your resume and be oh, like, yeah. you know, is, I got to do great this. Stuff. And I think uh, uh, next time around, uh, Sarah, we could probably talk about robots in space. Ro I know, we could do a whole Speaking sci Speaking of cheesy 50s movies, <laughs> yeah, robots right? in space, right? attack of the 50 foot tall woman robots right. in space. Yes. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yes. So. Jack Schnorr, thank you so much for being with us. This is very cool stuff. I wish you the best in this. And thank you from Sarah as well. We will keep in touch and we will see what happens down the road. I think it's going to be very cool. Yeah, thank you for having me. The Webhawk News Podcast is an independent production from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater. I'm Jim Cates. <laughs>